So that's Isaiah 53. We just read through the whole chapter. I love reading scripture, don't you? Who is Isaiah talking about here? Chapter 53. Jesus Christ. In some Orthodox Jewish culture uh, circles, uh, they hold that this is really this is the this is the country of Israel, or the state of Israel. And I would disagree with that because no country nor person other than Jesus Christ can do all that's being spoken about here. And this month, we're just going to be talking about healing, how God heals. And we heard yesterday from Billy that healing really begins at the cross. Healing begins at the cross. And that healing happens from the inside out. And the greater, the greater brokenness in a person is not that we have cancer or that we have uh, a disease or that we have some kind of ailments, but the greater, the greater problem is the internal brokenness the internal disease of sin that needed to be dealt with. And so we read here, Jesus Christ really in the doghouse, really being beaten up, really being hurt. And we see the pleasure of God in doing this. And does that sound like, like a weird God or what? That he took pleasure in seeing his son uh, suffer and be broken and be what is called... We, in theology, it's called propitiation. It means that the sacrifice is enough to appease a God that demands judgment. Now, something about the nature of God that we have to understand first that we don't hear a lot about. But God is a righteous God. He is righteous and he's just. And he demands absolute justice. He is not a God of compromise. He's not a God of, of any kind of um, uh, slack on righteousness. He is a just, holy, righteous God that he cannot look at sin, as the prophet Haggai says. So God, before he could pour out love on this planet, there needed to be the ultimate sacrifice. There needed to be the ultimate satisfaction of God's justice. And God called out for someone in the Trinity, in his, in his throne room, who will go for us. And we actually see that same call in Isaiah 6. And Jesus stepped forward. We, we don't see this explicitly in Scripture, but we know that Jesus took up the plan of the Father because God so loved the world. God so loved the world, but he couldn't love us freely because of, of, of sin and all the wounds and the shame and the guilt and the fear that that causes. And so we live in a world that's extremely broken. It's a world that does not understand that sin has been paid for and that that all of our wounds and our... And our um, Deep um, brokenness has been uh, has been not only defined by the law of Moses, but has been but has been addressed by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, when we look here at the justice of God, we have to understand that God is absolutely just, and that for for God to send the entire world and the entire human race, the billions and billions and billions and trillions of people that that would have gone to go to hell, God would have been truly just in sending all of us there. So there's one thing that we truly deserve in our life, and that is that we would be in the flames of fire. That's what we truly would, des- would deserve. But God, don't you love that? That, that full stop, period, but God. In the, in the book of Ephesians, it says, but God who is rich in mercy. God so loved the world. He saw our brokenness. And we talked about this last week. He looks at our brokenness. He looks at all our sin. He looks at our cycles, our cyclic patterns of failure and depression and rebellion and and how we hide it all with the fig leaves we talked about that last week he sees all of that and he has compassion <laughs> he has compassion i don't understand that i don't understand that 
he looks at the worst man or woman at the planet and he has compassion. Why? Because he sees something beyond the sin. Sin is just a symptom of an inner sickness that can only be dealt with by a bloody cross. And so he looks at us. Have you been struggling? Have you been wrestling with sin this week? Have you been, have you been beating yourself up? Have you been living in condemnation? Have you been judging yourself? Have you been thinking? Have you been living in the world of regret? Have you been disappointed at yourself? Have you been disappointed in what you think you should know better to do? Okay, I've been there. I was there yesterday, every day. There's, I'm telling you, I'm just every day I'm there. I'm like God. I I'm I fail. I'm a failure. Uh, it, it, I, I needed a savior. I need a savior continually. It's not just when I was nine when I needed a savior, but it's a savior. I need a savior daily. I need a, I know that there's a rescuer that will reach into my soul and pull me out of that miry pit of self and selfism. And so Isaiah 53 here. I love the book of Isaiah. It's just one of the most richest books in the Old Testament. This guy was an incredible prophet used by God. He introduces, he's the first prophet to really take the time in the Old Testament to introduce the, the God's plan of salvation for the Gentiles, you and I, Gentiles, non-Jews. That, that in Isaiah 60 and then forward, God is just telling this incredible story about how the taboo, ugly, yucky Gentiles who were sympathizers with the Assyrians and with, with the Romans and that were, that were responsible for the deaths of so many Jews and Jewish kids and slaughtering and, and their horrible Canaanite demonic religions that were just so demonic, they were just ghastly in their religion. And yet Jesus has a plan for them. We don't understand it because we don't understand the Jewish nature and culture in so many ways. And so Jesus steps forward and says, I will go, I will go. And I love this. And that's what we talked about last week is that when we look at the ugliness of sin, I don't know, I don't really watch the news much anymore, but you know, there was a time where you could just watch the news and you could just see people doing these crazy things and you could just like pour out and just like, these people are just so bad. They're so, they're so evil and they're like this and that. And yet when God sees that, when Jesus sees those crowds like that, in Matthew chapter 9, he has compassion. So I just want us to remember that, that whatever state you're in or whatever state other people are in that you know of, that uh, there's, Christ has compassion for that because he sees that. And guess what? Until we come to that point of not only understanding that we're sinners and that we, defi- we allow God to design, define sin in our life, the next step is his compassion on us. Until we understand that compassion towards us, there's no freedom from living in the, from the bondages of sin. And I just want to talk about uh, something here this morning that really ministered to me recently a lot. And so let's p- turn in our Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. And I want to just talk about the tree of life for a minute. And I want to talk about how the tree of life um, heals us. Chapter 13, right? Proverbs 13, and we're going to look at verse 12. And I'm going to read the verse. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Yep, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. That's a pretty pretty, uh, obscure verse, isn't it? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I love King James. It's kind of like has this pretty wordage to it. Does someone have this in in the ESV or a different version? 
somebody have that? Oh, yeah. Affirm makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. Yeah. I've heard it as hope deferred makes the heart weary. Yeah. What's hope deferred? What is that? What do you guys think that yeah, is? What we're hoping for, yeah. we don't see. Yeah, we don't get it. Yeah. Asking, yeah, you're right. What's the one word that we would use to describe hope deferred? Disappointment. Yeah. How about discouragement? How about disillusionment? Have you ever experienced disillusionment? Also, Chambers has a lot of interesting things to say about disillusionment in your Christianity. That's some pretty hardcore stuff. Maybe one time we can talk about it. Hope deferred. Have you ever been disillusioned? You believed in a movement, you believed in, a, in something, put all your hope in something, and it just it turns out to be like when you're in a business or in a person or in a situation, and you're like, what? I'm so, I'm so disappointed, you know? I'm so disappointed. And it just, what it does is disillusionment steals our sense of morality and just causes us to think, like, what's the use? David was like this. He goes, what's the use? The wicked prosper, and I'm here in the dumps. <laughs> what's the use? I've been righteous. I have not, you know, I, I've lived godly, David is saying. I've done, I've, I've walked your ways, Lord, to the best I can, and, and yet the wicked prosper, and I'm in the dumps. And so what's the use? I'm just going to throw it all. I'm going to throw in the towel, and I'm just going to go live like H-E double hockey stick. <laughs> I'm going to go live like hell, you know? Because what's the use? There's no, there's no use in it. And that's hope deferred. It makes the heart sick. And the heart is that part of us. It's like the engine it's like the core of our soul. Every five, we have five, I think there's six parts of the soul, and each part of that soul has a root, and that root, those roots go into the heart. And if the heart is any way sick, your, your whole body's sick. And so the heart here, if you've got discouragement that's in your heart, if you've got pain that's in your heart, then it affects your motivation, it affects your relationships, it affects your love, it affects your motivation for your business, it affects everything. You just have no motivation. And so when we experience, and if you have not been there where you have been so disillusioned and so disappointed and so dis- discouraged, and, so, and you have not been there yet, it, it's coming. And I don't want to be the prophet of doom here, but we have to know what to do with, with that painful discouragement and that pain, painful disillusionment. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And this is where wounds come in. Guess what? Do little, little infants experience this? Do little toddlers experience this? Hope deferred makes their heart sick? I think so. I think that, and we saw it when we, if you've, if, if you've ever adopted, and, like we did, and, and, and the condition of that little soul that gets put in your hands on adoption day, you can see hope deferred in that little infant's life that was in his heart sick. We saw that, you know. Sometimes we, sometimes we look at, sometimes we look at, um, like psychologists do, and they say it all, you know, Skinner, Floyd, um, all of these guys, all point to the mother. They say the mother didn't fulfill, just didn't do that, didn't love, or dad didn't do his part. Guys, it goes beyond that. It goes way beyond what mom and dad did not do. There's a part of us, and this is the first thing I want to really just look at. There's a part of us that we've sensed that before we found Christ was lost. We felt like we've lost something, and we didn't know it. There's something that's been lost, and what is that we've lost? Well, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, there's two trees in the garden, right? There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but then there's that tree of life, which is in the center of the garden. If you read 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says that in the, and some of you are smiling, maybe you just read it. it. There's in the middle of the garden was this tree of life, this tree of life. And this was the center of the garden. This was like, this was the premiere. This was the, all the spotlights of earth was on this tree of life. And they would eat from this tree of life and they would, it would it'd be knowledge and it would be wisdom and it would be uh, daily, um, daily manna with, with Adam and Eve. And then when they sinned, because Adam and Eve decided to be their own gods, to be their own, to, to live their own lives, to make their own decisions, like we do sometimes, or we do on a daily basis, they were no longer able to fellowship with that tree, and they were excluded from the garden. They were now on the outside. And now the Garden of Eden was being guarded by cherubim that had flaming swords, and the tree of life that was before this amazing like privilege. It was like you think that the you think that the tropical world and like Maui or like Hawaii or some of these beautiful places that we've been to, you think that's that you think that's paradise? Imagine a tree in the midst of the garden that is um, so beautiful that every time you eat it, your eyes are enlightened and you and you have more wisdom and more knowledge. And now they're on the other side of that. They're on the other side of that, and now they're excluded from that. They're excluded from this communion with God through this tree. Genesis, the tree of life is an interesting thing. Genesis talks about it, and then we read about it in the book of Revelation. Revelations 22, it talks about this tree of life that will be in the midst of the new Jerusalem. And it says that, and it's kind of interesting to, you know, it kind of bends your mind about the way the reality is in heaven. But it says that the tree of life is going to, is going to be is a tree that is planted on either side of the river that comes from the throne of God and the Lamb. <laughs> it's kind of, imagine what, how that, heaven's going to be such a different reality that we're, we're going to think, what, how can a tree be on both sides of something at the same time? Yet it will be. And it says that, that, the, leaves, that the leaves of the tree will be for the healing, which are for the healing of the nations. Meaning that the nations, when we come into heaven, there's going to be still so much, ethnic brokenness and ethnic pain that has been experienced in this life that there that the nations will be able to feast like some of these nations that we know of today that are so hard hit you know and and there's so there's and there's so much pain like like someone says well i'm from such and such a country and there's this immediate maybe frame of reference about them and where they're from and their culture and their lifestyle and that is just so wrong the healing of the tree of life heals the leaves heal so we have the tree of life on the beginning see you guys and and the tree of life is at the end of of the book of of book of revelation right in the middle of the bible is the book of proverbs and the book of proverbs uh describes the the tree of life as well we read we read a book about the tree of life three times in the book of proverbs and one of those times is here in chapter 13. So we have the, we have the tree of life bookending the Bible. Each end of the Bible, it begins and it ends with the tree of life. So the tree of life is really the center of a um, major topic in the Bible. And then in the book of Proverbs, which can really be truly probably understood as the center of the Bible, it's mentioned again. So we have these three, we have these three, we have this, um, these three points mentioned in the Bible of the tree of life. And so Here's the point I'm making, and this is what Charcy said, is that 
We have lost the tree of life. And this is going to get practical in a second. We have lost the tree of life. And we've forgotten what we're searching for. And this is what, this is really interesting because the tree of life had everything that we as a human being would ever want, desire, need, and, um, and, and hunger for. One Hebrew commentator puts it like this. He puts it like this. He says that the tree of life is an image, okay, of eternal life. But it's an, also an image. It's also a picture of the irretrievable loss. Are you following me here? The tree of life is not only a picture of eternal life, a picture of, of communion with Christ and that place of ultimate fulfillment where we could all of our appetites and all of our desires would be met. But it's also a picture of the irretrievable, the, the inability to find that what we've lost. It's some kind of a nostalgia that creates in us a longing for something that we remember but we don't ever know we don't ever we have never yet experienced let me explain it this way the tree of life was that place where adam and eve humanity us all of us were called to fellowship as and when adam and eve decided to just become the gods in their own life and choose their own way they lost that tree they lost the communion there they lost that communion with god this tree of life really represents communion with God. It represents Jesus Christ. And they lost it. And yet when they lost it, generations start going, they start generation after generation, and then they begin to forget. They begin to forget what was at that tree. And that was where fulfillment was. And that was where all of the desires and greatest joys and passions and everything that we hunger and desire for in this life was there and we lost it. We've been disconnected from that. And it's something that we don't remember really that we've ever had. Let me give you an example. Um, G.K. Chesterton, I don't know if you know that name or not. He said that when a man knocks on the door of a prostitute, what he's looking for is the love of God. Very interesting statement. What What he's saying there is, is that what we go after for pleasure and fulfillment and and satisfaction and comfort, comfort, we can, we're actually, we're going to the wrong thing for it. We're, it's really what we truly hunger and desire is the love of God. What we truly desire and hunger is fellowship with God. What we truly desire and hunger for is God himself, Jesus Christ. You know, I think that we've all experienced in some measure what, what a new love for somebody, a romance or a new career or just a new period in their life or something exciting about a trip that we're going to take or... Uh, something that we're, you know, that we're looking forward to and we have all of this hope, right? Maybe a relationship, maybe somebody we've met. And there's this joy and there's excitement about it. And we're thinking about it when we go to bed and we think about it when we wake up. And yet every single time, if it's not Jesus Christ, we wind up painfully disappointed, right? Amen? We, we, we're painfully discouraged. And it leads to anger and it leads to frustration. It leads us to asking the question, what am I even, what is this all about? And this hope deferred makes our hearts sick. And I think that, I think it can happen to us as a Christian. That's the first thing, is that, is that we've lost that tree of life. The tree of life is somehow inside of us, there's a memory inside of us of what life should be as a, as a, as a human being. And as, as, 
as what um, Adam, that joy that Adam had, and yet we've lost that. And what? And so this brings us to the second point. What we are looking for is really what we are really looking for in life is really that tree of life. And we don't know it. We don't understand that. We don't. Dis- we we think we need a better house. We think we need a different mate. We think we need a better career. We think we need this, or we need to exit this situation, or I need to move to another country, or I need this. You chase that, and as the years go on, and if you're older, if you're an older person, and again, um, I, let's, we use, I use that word, I'm, I'm older, you begin to understand that the longer you live, the more you realize that this world does not have what you really think you need. And every time you believe it, or you believe something in it, you're going, to be su- su- you're going to be severely disappointed. What we're truly looking for is the tree of life. C.S. Lewis said this, most people, and C.S. Lewis was a writer, I think back in the 60s and the 70s, right? Am I not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, wrote quite a bit about this topic. He was a Christian thought leader, and he wrote, he wrote this. Most people, if they had really l- learned to look into their own hearts would know that they do want, that what they want and want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. Is that good? If we really were to look inside of us, and people say, you got to really look inside of you and kind of discover what you really want. And, and, if we were to, and, and that's really not a great idea because our heart doesn't know what's the best for us. We, you know, if we try to follow our heart, we're always, it's going to always lead us into deception. Yeah. And they still just linger. The angel grabbed them by the hand and said, No, because God knows you know better than we know ourselves. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I have much better for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we don't even know how to define what we want. And so C. S. Lewis is saying if we were to really look inside and really to I honestly look at our heart, we're gonna discover that what I truly, truly want, this world can't give. It's not in this world. It must be in another place. And that's why there's this whole emphasis on science fiction, on the fantasy, on the virtual world, because people are realizing that they're not getting in this life what they want. So now they're going into a virtual reality to experience things where there's no laws and there's no guidelines. Does that make sense? And we live in that. Kids are, we're, our kids are growing up looking at that stuff. And so we can't find the things that we put our hearts on to fulfill our deepest longings. We'll never fulfill them because what we're really looking for in everything we do is the tree of life. And when I say that, you're like, tree of life. And I'm exactly, you don't know. We don't know it. We hunger and thirst for that tree that was in the middle of our garden when we were in the Garden of Eden. And you say, well, I wasn't in the Garden of Eden. I, I, that was Adam and Eve. But we are his descendants, and we are the descendants of Adam and Eve. And there is something inside of us that's a part of the human psyche that remembers that there was something that we are now dis- we are disconnected from, and that's the tree of life. And what we're truly looking for is that tree of life, communion with that, that eternal communion. And any time that, um, and this is the third thing, that anything else we search for, when we, whenever we put our search in something else, guess what happens? We get wounded. We get wounded. We're going to get hurt. We're going to get beat up. We're going to get torn up. 
Am I hitting a, am I hitting a, a string heel here? Even as a Christian, I think I grew up in the I grew up in, in kind of a, grew up in a Christian church, and so like there was a lot of things that I didn't experience maybe as a teenager. And if you look into the world and you look into that world of what you didn't grow up in, it can actually look kind of tantalizing to you. But whenever we look to the world, hey, Billy, whenever we look to the world for something that only the tree of life can give us, we're going to be disappointed. And not only are we going to be disappointed, but our heart is going to be made sick because of Proverbs chapter 13 here, verse um, What was the verse we were just reading? 13, 12. Whenever we seek fulfillment and satisfaction in something that's not the tree of life, it's always going to wound us. It's going to wound us. And that's that little infant, you know, the little infant that's looking to mom for that love that she can't necessarily give him because she's broken herself or she's on drugs or she's whatever. That wounds that little toddler. That wounds that little infant. Okay? And I was thinking about this. And like I said earlier, it's much more than what mom and dad didn't give us. Guys, it's way more than that. B.F. Skinner and these guys, Freud, and they, 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 and we said this last week, they pinpointed the problem, but they have no answers to give to us. It's way beyond mom and dad. It's something that goes all the way back to the garden, that we are looking for something that we remember somehow in this weird kind of generational memory that we had before, and it's no longer there, and it's really a tree of life. We remember that we were fellowshipping at the tree of life and every desire, every passion, every sense of excitement, every, every love and every sense of comfort, that comfort of what mom, you know, um, coddling us or dad just saying, I'm proud of you and all. We didn't get that from mom and dad, and we, but we really missed that about the tree of life because at the tree of life, we had this communion with God every day. We had the Holy Spirit comforting us. We had Jesus in our midst. And, but if we look outside of that, we're going to always be wounded. We're going to always be wounded. We, and actually, it doesn't necessarily even be, need to be something evil or bad. Like, okay, I'm going to go chase this career because I'm just looking for some significance as a man. Okay? Or I'm, gonna, I'm going to, you know, I'm married and, and my husband's not reliable. So I've got to, everything's on me and I've got to, I'm going to make this all happen. And I... You know, I can't trust God because I'm a single mom on my own. And, and, and that just leads to so much pain and so much brokenness. And it leads to wounding. This is why I think that if you and I choose to go down the path of racism and not understanding how the gospel looks at the beauty of a diverse people group in the body of Christ, where no one's aware of themselves but Christ, if we choose to go down that road of just politics or racism or whatever that is, we're going to be wounding ourselves. And I, I watched, I'm now I'm only on Instagram now, and I see some people on Instagram, and it's just, they're just chasing that. And they're wounding themselves more and more. And every post gets more and more violent and, 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 and unhealthy because they're wounding themselves. Because you know what? We cannot, understand, we cannot discover what we're looking for if we don't realize that it's in the tree of life. And so, um, and C.S. Lewis says this, he says, our lifelong nostalgia or our longing to be renewed, reunited with something from which we now feel cut off to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fan- fancy. 
but the truest index of our real situation. Okay, a lot of words there. What he's saying here is, is that all of our life, until we realize that we're not separated from what we want, we were separated from the tree of life. Someone says, well, if I just had more money, or if I had a better opportunity, if I could just get out of this neighborhood and grow up in that neighborhood over there, life, life would be so much better. No, it would not. It would not be any better. The hole would still be there. That void that only the tree of life can fill would still be there. And so when we look for anything else, it results in a crushed spirit. And this is what the writer of Proverbs is saying. I think Solomon, we underestimate how brilliant this guy was. He was a man who had the best, he had one of the greatest dads in the Bible. He had David, right? You know, David the psalmist, you know, David the shepherd, David the king, you know. Uh, David the warrior, David the great man made Israel great. Made great, made Israel great again. <laughs> he made Israel great. And yet he grew up in this with his dad and he, and, he, and he launched out into some crazy, crazy living. And he says here, he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But what does it say in verse um, um, in that verse that I just forgot again. Proverbs 13, 12. 12. But when the desire comes, it's the tree of life. This tree of life is the fulfillment of all of our desires. That's what he's writing here. He says, he says guys, what you're looking for is the tree of life. G.K. Chesterton said, when the guy's knocking on the door to the door of the process, he's looking for the tree of life. When we go down... And we're looking for that career to make to feel feel some sense of significance. We're really truly looking for the significance that we can only find through the tree of life. And then I think the last thing I want to say here is that the, what is the tree of life? What does that mean? Is it the, is it just some abstract philosophical idea? No, it's not. It's very specific. The tree of life was something in the garden that was the center of the garden, as we discussed. But after the fall, the tree of life became really a tree that was a, really a tree of death. It was a tree that could no longer be enjoyed. We could not get there. And all of our life and humanity has continued to strive towards that utopia, political utopia, financial utopia, or social utopia of what we lost in the garden. And, and that tree of life really became a tree of death and became a place that we could not access through every way we've tried. And yet Jesus Christ comes and he says, I'm going to climb that tree. I'm going to climb that tree. It's cool. It's kind of cool because the first Adam, God says to the first Adam, don't eat of this tree. Eat of this tree. And Adam blows it. Adam and Eve blow it. And they lose the tree. God says to the second Adam, who is who? Who's the second Adam in the Bible? Jesus Christ. Jesus does not grow up in a utopia of a garden. I mean, he grows up in a very broken neighborhood called Nazareth. Jesus doesn't grow up with the angels around him and uh, feeding and, and ministering to him with God walking in the garden. He, wa- he grows up in a very broken neighborhood that is known for its political sympath- sympathy to the, oppress- the oppressive Roman government. Jesus doesn't have all that. Jesus doesn't have the accolades of everybody knowing who he is. He grows up as a, as a foreigner in his own country. James, uh, John chapter 1, verse 10. Jesus grows up in a very broken world. And yet God says to the second Adam, eat of this tree eat of this tree. And Jesus says, I will eat of this tree. And so what he does, he makes his mission, that tree, that cross. And we read Psalm, we read Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus's pain and his agony and his suffering and how he suffered with us. And he bore our griefs. It says, you know, uh, I wish I had more time to look at this, but you know what it means to bear our sorrows and our griefs? It means that we bear something because we love, right? Maybe you're in a bad marriage, (laughs) 
and you're barren that because you love you love your mate, you know, or or you're in a very bad situation. You can't forsake that situation because you're you you're connected to that situation in love, and you're bearing that. And that's what Jesus did. He loved us. He loved us with the love of God, and he and he had compassion, and he bears with us, and he bears those burdens. I think there's a lot of situations that we'd like to exit from, right? But we don't because we're bearing that. And we're just like, why, do, why am I doing this? You ever ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because of love. Because there's something there that you see valuable in that. And if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's marriage. And it's like, I have a great marriage. My wife puts up with me all the time, bears with me constantly, all the time. She's getting all the rewards. And when... When Jesus climbed up that tree, by the way, the cross is referred to by a tree in the book of Acts and in 1 Peter 2 and Galatians 3, the tree is, the, the cross is called a tree. And so the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus is obedient to it. He sets his face like a flint towards it. This is how much God loves us. And he's so determined. And he's like, I'm not, and, and, and he's, and then when the disciples come in with this human comfort, like, oh, Jesus, please eat something. You must be so hungry in John 4. He goes, guys, thank you. Thanks for the McDonald's food, but I have an appetite. I have food that you have no idea about. And Jesus is food. And we, uh, we, like us, it's hard for us to imagine that because we're not Christ. And the communion that he had with the Father was so beautiful. The writers of the Gospels write very, very, very little about the, the prayer life that Jesus had. Do you know why? Because they didn't even understand it. It was just so beautiful and so mystical and it was so incredible. And the language that God and his son were speaking were such, such levels of love and compassion and, and intimacy that it just goes beyond the human mind. And it says, it just says the gospel's right. And Jesus went to the mountain and prayed. <laughs> That's all we can say about that. Or Jesus is at the Mount Transfiguration and he's praying. And then his disciples wait to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray like that. Whatever you just did, teach us how to do that. And so Jesus here has this, and he goes to the cross, and he goes to the cross, and he's on the cross, and it says that he despised the shame. I love that. I love that. There's shame that the world wants to put on you. You know the cross, without getting into historical context, the cross itself, that T, was a demonic symbol from the Canaanite religion that goes way back to Sumerian times. It was so, it was so, that's why it says in Galatians, he that hangs on a tree is cursed. It was such a bad, it was like, it was like worse than the pentagram. It was horrible. But we don't know that because we don't know the history there. Because we live, we're Americans, we grew up in the U.S. And so this was a horrible thing for it. So he, he clings onto that. He holds onto that cross and he allows himself to be pinned down as God. And, and, um, and he did not wiggle and writhe off that cross. You know, my son, he just, I think he really likes his freedom. Sometimes when I'm grabbing him, you know how you hold your kid and kind of holding them and he wants to break free and, you know, you're, he, he hates that. He just wants to break free and just run, you know. But Jesus didn't succumb to that human nature. Why? Because there was something that was greater in his life than his own self and his own preservation. And that was God's love for you and I. Think of that. God's value on your soul. I wish the Holy Spirit could just reveal this to us. Your value in your soul. We sell ourselves to stuff. We sell ourselves because we're looking for that tree of life experience. We don't even know our value. Sometimes when you talk to people, you're like, dude, if you could just understand how valuable you are to Christ. And that, that all of heaven was, was just, was spent for you. We don't believe that. We just say, hey, I'm just Joe, whatever. I'm just kind of living in my life and go get my Starbucks and 
stub my toe, go to the gym. It's just, you know, the tree of life is not just, tree of life is not just, okay, I'm going to work, I'm going to go sleep, I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to do this. That's not life. The tree of life is talking about a higher experience, the second floor Christianity, we like to call it, where we are in communion with God and we see eternal purpose. And get this way, we, get, we see eternal purpose beyond anything that we're, like I was just asking Ethan, you know, I was like, Ethan, how's things going? And he goes, he goes, he in essence said it's a lesson. I thought there's someone that's thinking that's higher purpose right there. It's like, oh, it's this is bad, that's bad, this is bad. But it's like, okay, there's something to learn in this higher purpose. Amen. It's like this a tree of life talk. It's it's like, yeah, I know we can get together, we can talk about COVID, we can talk about politics, we can talk about our neighbors, what they're doing. Let's talk about tree of life talk, like like Jesus when we were yet sinners, why we were yet enemies, and when we were at when we were weak, Christ died for us. And so Jesus pursues the cross. We don't understand that because he sees something. For the, It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says that he despised the shame. If you ever feel that shame come, coming on you because of your faith or because of the simplicity of your faith, you feel that shame, uh, despise it. Just kick it to the curb and say, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. Even if it's something that is part of your story, it's not your story anymore because your story is now the story of Christ. It's not who you are. And just don't live that lie. Yesterday, we were talking, I think David John said it, or someone said it, or was it Derek, that we choose to believe a lie. And that's not true. It's not part of our story. Don't live in the lie. Don't live in the false self. And I'm going to close with this, is that the first Adam, I mean, the second Adam said, I will go, and he did it, and he embraced the cross. And this is, Remember when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, and why hast thou forsaken me? Remember that? We, every, every Easter we celebrate that. Do you know that there are, some, there are some historians that believe that Jesus actually quoted the entire Psalm 22? That's where that, Psalm 20, that's where that statement comes from. Why did you forsake me? Whenever we seek for fulfillment and comfort and love and passion and excitement and all of these things that we look for in life outside of the tree of life, we're going to wound ourselves. And you know what? Jesus himself experienced those wounds for us. He experienced the grief. He experienced the depression. He experienced, and his depression wasn't because of sin. We, are, we heard Billy and I were talking, um, Billy shared yesterday and we were talking this week, that really wounds come from bad decisions in our life. We make a bad decision and we're putting our expectation in something and we're going to be disappointed and that wounds us. But Jesus, it says in Isaiah 53, he, he experienced, he bore our griefs and our sorrows. He was a man that was not, a, he was acquainted with grief. It wasn't just like, hey, by, he was acquainted. He was a good friend of, bad, of, hard, of hard times. He was, he was a well-known acquaintance. And he did that. And he said, when, when he says in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, in verse 14, there's a place where it says, my heart has turned to wax. You ever seen wax? It's kind of like get hot and then it just melts. Jesus is talking about like the one thing that Jesus hoped his whole life. And get this, get this. If this is one thing that you remember from our time this morning. Just remember this. Jesus put all his hope in one thing, and that is his father. His father's presence. His father is going to be there, you know. If everybody rejected him, his disciples were ignorant and they were just being dumb, he would go to the, to, he would go to the mountain. He would have fellowship with his father. And he's at the cross. And guess what happens? God can't look at sin. Jesus has taken the sin of the whole world upon him. God has to turn away. 
and how that is and how that works with the Trinity and the relationship between the Father and Son is beyond me. I don't know how to explain that theologically. But God turns away and Jesus experiences the grief and the sorrow and the loneliness and the rejection of the one thing that he had put all of his hope in in his whole life and that was his father. And he experienced, and when his heart turned to wax, it says that he, he experienced hope deferred. He was just broken. And Jesus knows what that feels like. And so next time you feel that way, next time betrayal comes your way, or next time disappointment comes that way, or when you disappoint yourself, understand that Jesus knows that eternally. He knows that pain. And he, can, he, he is not a stranger and you know something, when we're, in, when we're in our funk, when we're in our mood or whatever we do, remember, Jesus knows. And there's no condemnation. He just says, I wish you would understand how valuable, how valuable you are. And that at the tree of life, at the tree of life, and guess what? This is the last point I want, I want to make. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. It's tree of life talk. It's that Jesus came, climbed our tree that we could never attain to. He connected us with that utopia that we searched for. Where is that a utopia? Where is that fellowship? Where is that joy? It's not on this earth. And, and God bless our politicians. They're never going to bring it here. And they can make things great as they want. And I'm a supporter. I mean, I support our government. I, I pray you know, for our leaders. But we cannot look at our politicians in a way that they're going to bridge the gap between heaven and earth. They can't do that. And it's, unf- it's unfair for us to put them in that place. And so the gospel is, is that we, when we are standing on the outside looking in, not even understanding what we've been separated from and looking for it in other places, we can know that Jesus has it all and we can find it in Christ. And how do we, and where's that connection between us and Christ? I think it's the compassion. I think if we can see his compassion for us and understand that he's not angry with us, that God's not angry, he's not the angry dad. He's not the, he's not the, he's not the mom that's, that's super high, a high achieving mom that expects all, perfection from you. He, he, is not, he is not this moody dad. Jesus is our Savior. He's our friend. And I think that when we learn how to commune with Christ, and this is a point that I think that so many of us in our Christianity, we never get to this point where we can just sit down and adore Christ. I mean, churches, why do we miss this? Why are we missing this in churches? We get together. We do all this stuff for God. It's like God's like, I don't need you to do anything for me. I don't need you to do, you know, I read an article um, recently, stop trying to serve God. It was so interesting. Like, okay, so, and it's just like God has done it all, and let's just rest in that, and let's just feast on the, the nature and the, and the and the love of Christ and the compassion of Christ that He walks through us. And it's like Jesus. Do you know what pain? Like sometimes we experience pain in our life. We're like, God has no idea what this is because God never was. This, God was never in this situation. Wrong. He was. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was hung out to dry. Jesus was rejected. And he experienced that. And he said that. And at the end, at the peak, at the climax of the whole suffering and pain, he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And I just love that. Because when we sin, when we sin, we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea the repercussions of it. We have no idea truly what this is and how damaging it is for us, to our physical body, to other people, our relationships. And Jesus has forgiven them for they know what they do. And what does God say? Forgiven. 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 So when we wake up this morning, when we wake up, get in our truck or car, and we come here, or we go to we're doing whatever we're doing, we're coming, we're coming, and we're in the presence of God that's truly pleased with us. 
please. You say, well, my life's not together. I don't understand everything. I can't figure it all out. This, I'm still failing 40 years later in this area of my life. God is pleased with you, and he's faithful to bring out that which he has commanded you to do. You say, well, God, the Bible says don't do this. God's going to perform that in your life. You just need to agree with him. Just surrender to that cross. And I, and I just finish with that, is that when we surrender to the cross, I'm talking a long time here today, but when we surrender to that cross, it's like no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. And then we look at the old trash. We look at the old, the old junk that we used to feed on. We say, I don't desire that anymore. And we want, to desi- we, want to des- we want to enter into that fellowship with Christ. So anything. So what's the tree of life for the believer? It's the cross of Christ. Amen? It's that place where our life was exchanged. And now I have this life of Christ from eternity past in the center of the Trinity. And we have that forgiveness. And we have that compassion. And we can exercise ourselves in that. And that's spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not me... Uh, checking off the boxes of all the bad sins and having victory over them. That's okay. That can, that can look like growth, but true spirituality, true maturity in a Christian's life is getting to know Jesus Christ. Peter, at the end of his life, we know this verse, so I love it, Second Peter 3, 18. I think it's 18. Peter's about ready to die. He's about ready to give his life as a martyr. What does he write? He writes, he said, that you may grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but grow in grace grow in grace. Just grow in the grace of God. Grow in this favor. Grow in the favor of God. God is for you. He really wants to, he wants you to understand that. So I could go on for four more hours, but I'm going to stop here. Amen. So do we have any comments or any questions? Yes.